God is good. All the time. All the time. God is good. Some people don't believe that. Uh, but I tell you, if you don't believe that, you're just going to be miserable most of the time. Uh, if you believe what you see on the news or what you read in the paper or what your social media feed looks like or how many likes that you have or loves that you have or tears that you have, if that's the basis of your belief, then you're going to be sadly disappointed. If your life is centered on anything other than Christ, if it's on sports, if it's on politics, if it's on your hobbies, if it's on your career, at some point you're going to be disappointed because those things will let you down or eventually you won't be able to do those things. We need to understand that the Christ-centered life is the only life that can sustain us. It is the power that we need. And the only person that can live the Christian life is Christ himself. Uh, I can't do it. I can't work it up. I can't be, be disciplined enough. I can't be perfect enough. I need the power of God to live the Christ life. As I said last week, the only thing God expects of me is failure because my flesh will fail. My flesh will rise up and cause me to sin. And if I do not live in the power of the Holy Spirit, then I have no power in which to live. I'm living in my own strength, and depending on what day it is, I may or may not have that. We can't keep the Ten Commandments. Nobody in this room can keep the Ten Commandments. We can't keep the Sermon on the Mount. Nobody in this room can keep the Sermon on the Mount. We can't keep one of the smallest books that Paul wrote to the church apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. When I read my Bible and I see the demands of God on my life, I understand that I can't, but He can. And I can't, but He can in me and through me if I just get myself out of the way and let him do it. You, you think about the only person that ever lived that did it was Jesus. Now, I want you to just think about the life of Christ for a moment here. We don't know hardly anything about him after his virgin birth and, and the one incident in the temple when he confounded the religious leaders at age 12. Now, there's a thought. <laughs> He's not just any man, a 12-year-old confounded the religious leaders as he spoke to them in the temple. And then he kind of disappears from the pages of Scripture and shows up for John to baptize him at the Jordan River. We don't know of anything he's done. We assume that he helped his father in the carpenter's shop. We assume he was a kid like any other kid, that he grew up, that he helped to chores around the house, but when he came up out of the water, the spirit descended like a dove, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, and we don't know what he did. 
He lives three years. He does a public ministry. He heals people. He, he raises the dead. He teaches with authority like nobody else. He shows up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Moses and Elijah appear with him on the Mount of Transfiguration. And the voice of God is heard again. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Can I tell you what those two incidences tell me? That in his public life and in his private life, Jesus pleased the Father. And the only way in our public life and in our private life that we can please the Father is to walk in the Spirit, is to walk in the power of the Spirit. There's an old song that I was reminded of when I was preparing this message. It says, Jesus, be Jesus in me. No longer me, but thee. Resurrection power, fill me this hour. Jesus, be Jesus in me. Let's look at what God has given Whatever changes happen in our lives are not because we're just so much better people than other people. Those changes come by the power of the Holy Spirit. This, this was Paul's prayer for the Ephesian believers, Ephesians 3, 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, he's praying for the church, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. So that, why are we strengthened? So we can strut? No. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now in that prayer in Ephesians 3, Paul ties together the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all working together to point to us the Christ-filled life. John 16 and verse 13, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Well, I'm confused. I don't know what truth is. Somebody says this and somebody says that. The Holy Spirit guides us into truth. And by the way, the Holy Spirit never contradicts the word of God. I hear people saying, well, you know, the Lord just led me. And I'm thinking, Lord didn't lead you to do that. That's contradictory to Scripture. Well, I have a peace about it. Well, you couldn't have a peace about it because that's contradictory to Scripture. The Spirit and truth are not in conflict. They complement one another. They're two sides of the same coin. He is the spirit of truth. Jesus is the truth. The spirit is the agent of truth. He reveals truth to us. He shows us how Christ can live his life in us and through us. He's the spirit of life, Romans 8, 2. He's the spirit that gives life, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6. 
You say, well, I, I don't feel the Spirit. Well, most days I don't either. But that doesn't deny His work. He didn't say He will make you feel spiritual. He said He will fill you with the Spirit. And in the daily grind of life, you and I have the power of the Holy Spirit not to make us feel happy, but to be filled with the joy of Christ, to be filled with His presence. There's a difference between feeling and filling. And some reason people never walk in the fullness of the Spirit is they're waiting for a feeling. Well, I can give you a, a feeling. Just get a, an extension cord, stand in some water, and plug it in. You'll get a feeling. You'll get a shock. And some people are looking for a feeling, and so they go to these preachers, and the preachers slap them on the head, and they fall backwards. In the Bible, when the Spirit struck people, He struck them forward on their knees. A man can make you fall backwards, but God will make you fall forward. A man can slap you on the head and work up some emotional trigger and psychological trigger in your life that will last until you get off that stage. But God can do something in your life that makes you live humbly before Him and realize that apart from Him, you can't do a thing. So, I, I want you to just write down the references because I'm going to fly through these. I think they'll be on the screen. We love by the Spirit, Romans 15.30. We are sanctified by the Spirit, Romans 15.16. We hope by the Spirit, by the power of the Spirit, Romans 15.13. By the Spirit, we put to death the deeds of the flesh, Romans 8.13. We are led by the Spirit, Romans 8.14. We worship by the Spirit, Philippians 3.3. 3. We are strengthened by the Spirit, Ephesians 3.16. We are taught by the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 2.13 and 1 John 2.20 and 27. And we are to show the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Isn't it amazing? Not one thing in that list has to do with how I feel. Not one thing. Well, I, I, I don't feel led by the Spirit. I, I don't feel like worshiping the Spirit. Nobody said you had to feel led. Just we worship by the Spirit. We worship because the Spirit is a spirit of worship and a spirit of truth. The Scripture gives us four commands regarding the Spirit. Now, two of them are going to come under this first point. The other two are going to come under the, the next point. Two are positive. And two are negative. The first one that is positive is walk by the Spirit. Galatians 5, 16. A positive command, walk by the Spirit. It doesn't say walk by the Spirit when you feel like it. It says walk by the Spirit. A walk is a journey. It's a step followed by another step, followed by another step, followed by another step. We walk through this life. We're on a trip. We're on a journey. It's a long obedience in the right direction. It's a picture of how we are to live our lives. The Bible says that Abraham walked with God. 
Klaus Westermann said, God orders Abraham to live his life before God in such a way that every single step is made with reference to God. How we live our life, we walk with God. So when I'm walking along in life and there's a temptation that says, ooh, that looks really good, or I ought to check that out, then I need to check my walk. Am I walking in step with the Spirit as I move in that direction, as I make that decision, as I make that choice? Acts chapter 9, Christians were called followers of the way. If you study Scripture before we were saved, we used to walk in darkness. We used to walk according to our flesh. We used to walk according to the devil. Now we walk according to the Spirit. Now we walk as children of light. Now we walk according to love. Now we walk as Jesus walked. Funny that that's not evident in a lot of people, so-called evangelicals, in America today. That's why when God works, he works in a remnant. He can't work in a crowd, but he can work in a congregation. He can work in a body of believers. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6, the one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. That word walk is a Greek present tense that means continuous. It doesn't just mean occasionally or periodically or spasmodically. It means that there's a continual walk of faith like Jesus walked. So the first positive command regarding the Spirit, the Christ-centered life, is that we are to walk by the Spirit. The second one, we are to be filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5, 18. That means to be controlled, to be controlled by the Spirit. The Spirit manifests Himself in our thoughts and deeds. Paul is teaching us about the abiding characteristic of the Christian life. This is how we are known. This is how we operate. Uh, Paul uses the illustration of, of don't, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. In other words, don't let a substance control you. Let the Spirit control you. And now more and more in our country, states are authorizing the use of recreational marijuana. Now we don't have to worry about drunk drivers. We have to worry about people that are smoking dope and driving, and it's legal. Jesus would say, don't be controlled by that. But it's legal. Well, it's legal to cross a crosswalk when it says you can cross, but you ought to look both ways to make sure somebody that's smoking or drinking is not driving down the road while you're doing that. Because you could get hit and wake up in heaven and go, but it was legal. But the guy on dope hits you. We are to be filled, controlled, dominated by the Holy Spirit. It means you cannot be full of self and full of the Spirit. Oh, anybody ever met somebody just full of themselves? I, I know you never met anybody like that, but you know I've, I've met people like that. I've met people who could strut sitting down. 
You can't be full of yourself and full of the Spirit. You've got to be emptied of yourself to be full of the Spirit. He will not fill the self-sufficient. He will not partially fill us. He will not fill the proud. So, so how do we, if, if we're going to be filled with the Spirit, how do we maintain that walk? How do we walk in fullness? Let me give you four words that summarize it. The first word is surrender. By being filled with the Spirit, I'm walking in surrender. I choose to surrender my life. All to Jesus, I surrender. All to Him, I freely give. I walk in surrender. Secondly, the Scripture. The Scripture. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. The Spirit reveals truth. Jesus said, when the Spirit comes, He will guide us into all truth. Not just some truth, all truth. He will reveal wisdom in how we walk. He will show us what we need to guard against and protect against. Uh, uh, tonight, I'll start a series in Proverbs, on powerful Proverbs for the pandemic. And we're going to talk about washing our mouth out because Proverbs over 100 times deals with our tongue, positive and negative. And I'm going to tell you, we need a lot of tongues on the altar right now. And if you don't let the Spirit control your tongue, you're going to be apologizing for a lot of things in glory. Well, Lord, I didn't know that. Lord, I really didn't mean that. And Lord, I, I didn't know you were keeping account of the words that came out of my mouth. Uh -huh. Sure am. It's going to take a while. The rest of y'all can go get a Chick-fil-A because it's going to take me a while with this person because all they could do was text, type, and talk. And most of it wasn't God-honoring. Most of it didn't glorify Jesus. Most of it didn't point anybody to the cross. If all somebody knew about you is what you said on social media in the last week, could they find Jesus in that? If they can't, what you said was not based on the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I don't care where you are in all of it. If they can't find it, if they look at your life, what you texted, what you tweeted, if somewhere in there they cannot look at your life and find Jesus and know that Jesus is the hope of the world, then I want to tell you something. You wasted a lot of time. The Scriptures tell us how to talk. And just to give you a little preview of tonight, I have discovered that I can be quiet in over 120 languages. Not that I would know what I was saying. I just know I can be quiet in those languages. Thirdly, the saints. The saints. How do I maintain fullness of the Spirit? I surround myself with the saints. I spend time with the people of God that encourage me and exhort me and strengthen me and pray for me. Listen, this idea that I can be a spirit-filled Christian and walk in victory and not be committed to the body of Christ is nowhere in Scripture. 
The Bible says to forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. And when we make excuses or look for any way to not be in church, then we are going to find ways that we open up our lives to the devil where the devil says you have a right to do whatever you want to do. And you need to take that to the cross and ask the Lord if you have a right to do that. Because he bought you with his blood. We sing a song, everybody likes it. I'm no longer a slave of sin. But I'm going to tell you, a lot of us are still a slave of self. We're still a slave of self. Fellowship with the saints. And then prayer. Put on the full armor of God. I love what Warren Wiersbe used to say. He, he said, every morning before my feet hit the floor... I dress myself in the Ephesians 6 armor of God because I know the minute my feet hit the floor, I'm in war. I'm in a battle. Now, how do I do that? John 7, verse 37. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out. That, that word cried out is like a, a shriek. I mean, it's like screaming. Jesus is in the temple and he is screaming at the top of his lungs, above all of this performance and above all of this dead religion and above all this sacrificing and the, the changing of the money in the temple and everything that is going on, Jesus is screaming at religion and religious people. And he cries out and says, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Part of that feast was the pouring out of water. He said, if you want water, you come to me. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being, I will flow rivers of living water, artesian well water. But this, he spoke of the spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. You see, you can't live long without water. You can live a few days, but you can't live long without water. Can I tell you something? It's less than that if you try to live without the living water of the Holy Spirit. You have to drink from that fountain continually. A.W. Tozer said, Every man is as holy as he really wants to be, but the want must be all-compelling. Every man is as full of the Spirit as he wants to be. This is the life of faith. This is the Christ-centered life. This is the Spirit-filled life. It's the Spirit convicts us. We are saved by faith. We are sustained by faith. We are filled by faith. Faith is our yes to God. And when we are Christ-centered and when we are filled with the Spirit, then it removes the pressure of being performance-driven. I gotta try harder. I've got to do better. I'm going to do better the next time. And I mean, how many times, I know this growing up, how many times I told my parents I wouldn't do that again, and I went right out and did it again. Because I was going to try harder. That's not how we overcome. We overcome by the power of the blood of Jesus and the infilling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So with the Spirit is working in me and I'm being filled with the Spirit, then I just need to ask myself, what is God saying? What does He want me to do? 
And am I obeying it? Second point, what God expects, Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. God expects us to be what Paul said. I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In my Bible, I wrote in 1974 by Galatians 2.20, dead men have no feelings. Well, people have hurt me, get crucified, die to self, take up your cross daily. This is what God expects of us. It's a dying to self. If you want the Christ-centered life, you have to die to self. The verb is in the past tense that what happened in history provides for my victory. So the first thing is I have to die to self. I can't get any further if I don't do that. So when Jesus died at Calvary, I died with him. Romans chapter 8 and verse 3. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk, there's that word again, according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You see, Jesus took my sin, your sin, and he died for sin, and he paid a price that I could not pay for my sin. That which condemned me has been covered by the blood of Jesus. That which would be held against me and send me to hell because of the grace of God has been covered and I am no longer condemned. Therefore, Paul says in Romans 8, there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. So why is it we still do the things we don't want to do and don't do the things that we should do? Because we fail to die to self. Because Christ suffered our condemnation on the cross, we can die to ourselves. Christ did for us what the law couldn't do for us. You can try to keep the law, but you're going to fall short. Warren Wiersbe said, The law of double jeopardy states that a man cannot be tried twice for the same crime. Since Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sins, and since you are in Christ, God will not condemn you. You see, the law has no power to make you a better person. The law just points out how sorry you are. The law has no power to make you a better person. I mean, we live in a world where everybody wants justice. I don't want justice. I want mercy. I don't want justice for my sin. Now, if you want justice for your sin, go ahead, knock yourself out. See how that works for you. But typically what we want is justice for people we disagree with and mercy for us. But that street is a one-way street. We either want mercy and need mercy and show mercy, or we will never understand what the purpose of the law is. 
The purpose of the law is to show that we are sinners and we throw ourselves on the mercy of the court. And we throw ourselves at the mercy of the cross. The law cannot produce holiness, Romans 6, 6. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Now you can call it the crucified life, the victorious life, the deeper life, the abundant life, whatever you want to call it, most people aren't living it. But the Christ-centered life is not for a few. It is for all of us. The possibility is there for all of us to let the Spirit work out these truths in our lives, which means when I'm walking in the Spirit, when I'm dead to self, when I have crucified myself, then I am not bound by the guilt of my past. God has taken my guilt. He's taken my sin. He's thrown it into a sea of forgetfulness. The picture in Scripture is crucifixion. You can't crucify yourself. You have to be crucified. So I have to lay down. That's why Jesus said, take up your cross daily, die daily. I have to lay down and someone has to crucify me and I lay myself on a cross and I die. Stephen Olford said it this way. As I live my life moment by moment and sense self-rearing its ugly head, I count on the Holy Spirit to put to death the deeds of the body. Crucifixion is not an instantaneous death. It is a lingering death till Jesus comes. You're never going to reach a point where the light bulb comes off and say, You know what? I haven't sinned in years. That's not going to happen. That's why it's a daily dying. That's why it's a daily filling. Because we sin much, we need to be filled. And we need to find forgiveness. So, here are the two negatives. Do not grieve the Spirit, Ephesians 4.30. Grieve is a general word there for physical or emotional pain. We grieve the Spirit when we walk in our flesh. We grieve the Spirit when we operate in disunity, when we don't practice forgiveness, when we don't go the second mile, when we don't show love to others. So he says, don't grieve the Spirit. Secondly, don't quench the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19. NIV translates that, do not put out the Spirit's fire. How do you put out the Spirit's fire? Rejecting the truth? not being accountable. Uh, I would just say here that quenching the Spirit is the number one sin of Sunday worship. I'd say it's the number one sin of Sunday worship. Now, I don't have a chapter and verse on that, but here's what I'd say. When God is speaking to you and you say, no, I'm not going to walk that aisle, I'm not going to make that decision. I'm not going to... No, no, I'm not. You've just quenched the Spirit. And by the way, when you quench the Spirit, it affects everybody around you. It affects the room. So I, I don't do that. Whatever God tells me to do, I'll do it. Okay, all right. I, I'll follow you there. 
But when you get your phone out and you get a notification on Facebook and you can't wait until church is over to see that or to see how many likes that you got or you get to send a text message to somebody and you just got to keep catching your social media, you have quenched the spirit because what you said is a pagan who owns Facebook and a pagan who owns Twitter has more rule in your life in an hour of worship than the Holy Spirit does. Your God has become what social media says and thinks. That is quenching the Holy Spirit. You want to watch God walk out of a room? Just keep checking your phone. You say, well, I, I just check it up until the time the service starts. That's not preparing your heart for worship. Well, I just got, you know, I, I found, I got six more likes, and you lean over and I got six more likes. You ever looked up and said, Lord, do you like anything I'm doing right now? I mean, let's just be honest. We are much more like the world than we think we are. We respond, think, and act more like the world than we think we do. And we are not to quench the Spirit. Now let's look at what God desires, and we're going to go through this very quickly. God desires, again, that we be filled with the Spirit. We need that power for living. We need an infusion of the Holy Spirit in such a way that the world sees a difference in us. The world needs to see in us the fruit of the Spirit. And fruit is not the response of struggle or trying harder. It is the working out of God in our lives. Galatians 5, 24. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. That which hinders me, I need to die to. I need to take it to the cross. He's all-sufficient. He's all-powerful. I think God can do anything but this. Then you just grieve the Spirit. I think God can save anybody but that person. Then you just put yourself on the throne. Listen, he has the power to empower you to be the person that he called you to be. He has the power to empower you to witness. He has the power to bring revival. He has the power to sustain you. He has the power to sanctify you. He has the power to pray when you don't know what to pray. He has the power to empower you to serve. Amen. So I'll go back to that song. Jesus, be Jesus in me. No longer me, but thee. Resurrection power, fill me this hour. Jesus, be Jesus in me. If you are here today and you have never trusted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, our staff are going to be masked up and at the end of the aisles and we want to give you an opportunity to respond to Jesus Christ. You cannot fix your life on your own. You need Christ. Apart from Christ, you can do nothing. The wages of sin is death. 
but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And, and we're going to sing, and as they're singing, I'm going to invite you to step out and to come and to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ and to find the life and the hope that is ours in Christ Jesus. So as we stand and as they sing, you step out and you come right now and let's respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. <laughs>